0: you are listening to the current podcast the official podcast of uc san diego's it services department i'm your host miguel rodriguez today is wednesday june 28th and we will keep today's intro short and sweet first of all we wish everyone a great fourth of july holiday next tuesday Considering the shortened week, there will be no new podcast next week, Wednesday on July 5th, so you have extra time to dig into my engaging discussion with our Chief Information Officer, Vince Kellen. So let's get to that interview. Six months into 2023, and we're here with a revisit from our Chief Information Officer, Dr. Vince Kellen. Welcome back, Vince. Thank you for joining me. I'm glad to be here, Miguel. Thank you. It's been six months since uh, since you were on this podcast. Uh, I figured we would start with something fun. Um, mm-hmm. For 2023, what are some accomplishments you think that we have done as an organization?
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, obviously rounding out and completing what I'll call the COVID track mm-hmm. has been a big, big part of what we've done for the university and that's a big thing. I think Going on three years now post-go-live on the Oracle Finance Solution and then several of the other projects around that have gone well. I think a lot of the data warehousing activities have gone really, really well. I want to give a shout out to some of the research areas under Valerie and that because they've been progressing quite nicely with services and some things they've been doing there. And of course, we're all kind of mourning uh, and rejoicing at Mike Korn uh, leaving us and going to the NSF. Uh, so we're glad to see him get to a great position with the NSF, but we're kind of sad to see him go. Uh, so I think our unit is doing very well uh, in all of this. And we're going to be uh, hopefully coming to a decision here on the last bit here, our student information system. So that'll happen shortly. And then once we complete that, well, that will complete all of the ESR. That program will then shut down uh, formally. Uh, So another two years, a little bit longer, uh, that'll all disappear. But the reality is it's kind of gliding down bit by bit right now. So, and I think I'm hoping people have, feel like they're getting more of their life back with all this COVID crush and everything. Uh, And the responses we've had to do to help the institution over the last few years uh, and getting back to what I'll call um, a little bit more of a uh, a balanced normal state. So hopefully, hopefully that's occurring. I'm hoping that's the case. It's turning out to be a little bit that way for me, so that's good.
0: You know, I, I, <clears didn't, <clears <throat> I didn't have this question to ask, but since you brought it up, I'm gonna ask it anyway. I had a discussion with Jenny Ann on this podcast about whether she thought students who are approaching our help desk, even now, were coming in person more or still opting to use the ticketing, use snow or or use in a uh, remote way to check in. And she said that they're still not seeing many in person come to the service desk. There used to be a line around AP yeah. and <laughs> now so I'm wondering, like, do you think, like, it, what, if anything, has... Changed permanently in response to COVID? No, that's a really good
1: question. And the fact that students might not be lining up so much, we don't know the exact reason for that. It might be they're getting more adept at searching for things on their own. It also might be that they're more mindful, although I sort of doubt that. You know, when I was that young, I mean, I would, you know, okay, yeah, maybe I'll stay away during the pandemic, but I'm young. I'm in a category where this is statistically uh, not too dissimilar from the flu, and I'm not diminishing any of the uh, impacts of COVID. I think for uh, the older crowd, absolutely. So I know that people in the high-risk categories, over 60, over 55, etc., cetera, they're all altering their behavior, and, and many of them have permanently altered their behavior around it. So that's a really good question. I'd love to dig in, or see what people have to say about that. I think uh, though, the part of me that's sort of excited now is this notion of of much more intelligent chatbots and students getting support that way. I think they're going to be all over that in a heartbeat.
0: Well, let's let's keep that in mind because I think we are going to direct a question in that in that direction um, a little bit in a little bit here, but I. You know, you brought up ESR and, and how that's starting to wind down a little bit, uh, but there's still a lot happening with that SIS project. I was wondering if there's anything you wanted to give an update on or some vision you know, for. Yeah,
1: you know, curriculum management has kicked off, and that's the process by which the faculty go through to approve courses and curriculum. And that's going to be a longer bit because that involves a lot of faculty processes. And right now, we're replacing email with software that can help uh, sort of scaffold and support that process. So it's not necessarily a huge thing across the enterprise, but for the faculty who curate all of our courses and degrees, it's, it's a fairly big deal. Uh, so Carlos Jensen over in, uh, in the EBCA area, he's leading that and, and that's proceeding. Uh, on The financial aid side, the teams are continuing to proceed there. And then we're just waiting for a student system selection. The bill, presentment, and payment component that's coming out of Ted Johnson's area is underway. And so they'll probably complete that work uh, within the next 12 months or less. And our replacement of the reports, uh, the 300 some reports, or what I call the, the, the rationalization of those reports into a smaller subset will be happening. And, I th- and that will certainly be done by the time uh, we go live with a new student system. So pieces are well in hand and moving ahead of pace of the final implementation. While we have 300 or plus student reports, I remind people that Vivaldi did not write 200 violin concertos. He wrote one violin concerto 200 times. And there is a difference. And so part of the job of the team is to rationalize those. As you know, you accumulate reports over the years. And uh, there's a Pareto distribution of usage where a few reports get a lot of usage and a bunch get very little to none. So that rationalization is underway. So yeah, there's a lot of work going on. Um, And I think we've got a real good plan uh, to do this in a way that uh, gives us the advantage of using the clock to our advantage, meaning the schedule and get as many things done early as we can
0: i'm going to throw this question out there because i had i was lucky enough to have a conversation with v, with van williams it, it, right before <clears throat> process palooza and he talked a lot about president drake's priorities and when i knew i was going to interview you i thought i would ask you a question regarding your superior like Pierre Oye, like if there are priorities for ITS that you hear from coming above you, is there anything you would um want to point out or share to the rest of our group?
1: Yeah, absolutely. For and you can think of it as leading from pradeep in strategic planning overall which I think the cabinet has a very good sense of what we're doing. And we're very clear that we've kind of gone through a growth curve on the student side. That's flattening out. We're clear that on the master's degree stuff, that's got to increase. We're also clear that health is continuing to grow aggressively as it has to in the market. And we are a research university. So research has only one chance but to grow. So I think everybody's pretty clear on that Uh, in between all the seams of that Uh, There are things like how do we improve the student experience, which I think the student system can precede or be tied with some of that work. There's face-to-face interactions around service delivery uh, for the student uh, on campus that probably needs attention. I think for Prit and Pierre and myself included, the ability to now use some key assets that we have, and the first one is... Certainly, uh, our investment in Lean Six Sigma across the institution, it's quite profound, pronounced, and ginormous compared to any other university. That is a big advantage. We need to use it. We have new enterprise systems we're growing into. That is a big advantage. And we have this little tiny thing called AI. And we have a university that's a bit of a leader in some of this AI work for the country. Not all of it, but a bit of it. And uh, so our mission now is to use AI wherever we can to help with staff gaining more time in their life back. We're not trying to reduce staff counts. Instead, we're trying to absorb the growth we've got within those staff counts and hopefully give people some of their time back and or get them focused on kind of more interesting stuff. Now, this is a multi-year affair. It's many little things. I find it incredibly exciting. I wish I were, you know, in my early 20s or mid 20s starting my career up because I would be a prompt engineer faster than you can say the word boo. And uh, so I think it's very clear where we need to go next in all of this. On the teaching side, and that's Carlos's world, is to help figure out uh, with the faculty what are better ways to teach and what are better ways to advise and help students. So things like intelligent tutors intelligent advisors to students. In fact, I think there's a role for an intelligent tutor for staff, for different staffing functions. I mean, tutor, I mean like coach or somebody say, hey, I got a question. I'm stuck here. How do I do this accounting transaction? You know, What sort of account code should I use? Things that they would ask another person for, uh, for which uh, between the power of the large AI, large language models, and then uh, either fine tuning or additional working the prompting back and forth, we can get real good answers to those questions in a
0: more automated way. So you, I, I'm just looking at some of the questions I had getting checked off <laughs> as you start talking. I knew I wanted to start talking about AI. It's a big focus. In fact, uh, you and I had a little email back and forth and, and you gave me some reading recommendations regarding automated neural networks and and, and the like. And uh, that got me thinking about how much I feel like as AI takes more of a space in our culture, the more people learn about it, the less they really understand about it. So let's use Carlos Jensen and teaching and learning as an example. So, how do we get our teaching and learning commons engaged teaching hub primed for? what AI can offer. And you did mention a multi-year thing, but
1: yeah, I'm Well, if- when, it, when it comes to that, it comes from the faculty out. So think of it mm. from the faculty and their discipline, their department outward, and that's the way it should be. So the faculty got to figure out what's the best way to teach uh, in their courses. And then the role for people like Carlos and us is to, is to support each other and supporting the faculty in that process. Uh, you know, what works in, uh, in, in studio art may not work in political science, may not work in, uh, you know, a STEM discipline like physics or biology. So it's got to work that way, kind of, you know, inside out from the curriculum. Uh, I think students are going to do their own thing. I mean, students are mm-hmm. going to be rapid explorers of this space. There'll be all sorts of tools out in the Internet at large to help them. Uh, we won't necessarily have control over that. I'm not interested so much in control. I'm more interested in clever adaptation here. Uh, I think there's some fear about AI. Uh, it's, there's a bona fide fear. It's a, perhaps a little bit, I won't say premature, but it's got to be contextualized because the first place AI is going to shine is on very mundane things. You know, like how do we answer somebody's ticket who says I can't log in? And I've got a new laptop, and I'm trying to log into Ecotime, you know, for example. Uh, that's where it's going to work first on, on very mundane things. People worry about privacy, as, as are we, and the way to think about privacy in AI as it is today now is that these large language models, they're fixed and frozen, so they're not adding data to them yet. Doesn't mean down the road they won't. We are submitting data as part of our prompting. You know, we're typing in our questions and maybe we're supplying some data. We should not be applying any of our level P4 data in there. But we can certainly do, you know, less uh, sensitive data in those things because that data, while contractually it looks like from the providers, um, they're not using it for any other purpose. Uh, we got to keep a close eye on that. So I, I call this the blood brain barrier between our data. And the AI's data. Uh, The prediction that I'm making that I think is is happening very quickly now is walled gardens of data will ensue. Entities will protect their data from being discovered by the AI. The AI leading companies know this and are already doing deals with media companies to potentially make forms of that data available to their AI and that's probably as it should be. All the parties should decide how they want to do this. I think the Hollywood strike is a big concern, the writer strike. And uh, they should be concerned because this is one of the areas where AI can really do magic, potentially. And if there's any industry that's more formulaic than Hollywood, it would be IT. <laughs> and so now this the, the number, and what, what you've got to remember in IT, the number one task where AI can shine the most is in writing code. Mm. So getting our unit to adopt, hopefully we're gonna adopt GitHub Copilot here shortly and getting us to use it. This doesn't mean we're gonna have reduced numbers of staff. What it means is we'll get through our backlog, hopefully a little bit quicker. Most of the large software shops are already doing this in a much bigger way and getting to be more productive with their work. And by no means should we ever remove our agency from control of this. We need to have a human in the loop to review and uh, not send it forward, especially if you're gonna do a brief to a judge and submit the brief with incorrect citations.
0: Uh, Well, I remember when uh, we talked last, I believe it was our last conversation, I did ask you about a lot of things like the activity hubs. A lot of the Mm -hmm. projects we've invested in have been about collecting massive amounts of data. And I'm uh, wondering if AI would be one of the answers toward, okay, if we have these repositories of data, would AI help parse that categorize it, interpret it, analyze it, and that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. And uh, use cases will come forward um, either by us, by our own uh, piecing together an AI pipeline around this, or by vendors who will offer solutions. An example is IBM wants to endow into Cognos the ability for you to create a workbook based upon verbal input. So, you say, I like a workbook that takes the sales from here, here, and here, and, and creates a workbook and charts it as a line graph, for example. And that will certainly happen. I think where we can use this is, and let's pretend I am doing accounting in IT, mm-hmm. and I'm doing accounting related to our engine chargeback. Well, I can ask the chat bot, hey, I have to move a bunch of transactions from one unit to the other, what's the best way to do it? If the uh, chat GPT in the secondary phase of submitting data to as part of the prompting has additional data about the types of dollar amounts or, or, or units that are being involved in that, the answer given to that agent could be much more personalized to our, mm-hmm. to our accountant. Some are calling it, using the term, hyper-personalization. And that's certainly capable. In our project activity, hub, I could say, hey, I've got these five objects, and for, excuse me, for this object, or this epic, this object, I've got these five tasks. I need to repeat this across 30 versions of that object. Boom, and it just spits out the tasks for us, you know, without having to resort to a spreadsheet or typing it by hand. Then you could say, hey, um, take the estimates from the last five projects that had these object types and average that estimate out across all my tests, all these objects that I can adjust. Yes, yes, and yes. All those things I think are I eminent, mean, they're feasible today uh, in the technology. But again, it's going to require a human to review that, but it can save you a whole lot of time uh, in, in, in prepping. So, and that would be accomplished by linking either in the prompt engineering phase or in a separate fine tuning phase as open AI allows fine tuning or other tools do qu- additional querying of our structured data and inclusion of that data as part of the training model that it develops for a final answer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's how to improve things.
0: Since you mentioned the- possibilities of AI coming from instructors, faculty. Uh, Let's throw in health professionals, researchers. I'm wondering if you have heard anything specific from those groups, uh, ideas that are coming out, hopes, wishes, 10-year plans, anything like that.
1: Well, health has received a $21 million gift to help spur this in that they are doing. Uh, the, the Epic company that provides the patient data has already deployed some first versions of this. The health community has been looking at this problem for a while now, since ever since natural language processing came out. So they're very well positioned to begin to use it. It will never replace a human judgment on top of it. So I think that's probably the, not, I should say never, it certainly weren't for any foreseeable future do that. Um, but it can help uh, caregivers in all sorts of ways. So uh, I have no doubt that health, our health folks are looking at this steadily and continually over time. In our neck of the woods, ServiceNow has an AI strategy that we can tap into to provide intelligent chatbot as part of mm-hmm. the, the ticket management. Beautiful, beautiful, so. Yeah,
0: I think, I think that's a perfect example uh, going back <sighs> As, as in this conversation to the service desk and Snow and just the sheer quantity of tickets uh, yeah. that come in that don't necessarily require to be uh, elevated or, or have anything really complicated done. It's something very simple.
1: No, and there's two areas right now, ServiceNow so has NLP technology that can route uh, to mm-hmm. the right skill group. That's one level. The next level is to recruit a richer answer to the, you know, the the ticket and then send it back off with an agent probably reviewing it. An automated chatbot would do the same sort of without a human in the loop, but allow mm-hmm. an escape route for the person to say, hey, let me talk to a, a bloody human now. Thank you.
0: Yeah, which uh, I'm wondering, is that one of the fears you have been hearing from people is that lack of a human element?
1: Um, well, it would be a fear, but the fear would live in proportion to mm-hmm. the inability for the chatbot to function. Mm-hmm. And so we'll monitor, monitor both and we'll adjust accordingly. In the corporate sector, there's been really good success with very focused chatbots, not for all cases, but many of those simple cases. You know, uh, For example, I went to ChatGPT and said, I'm a staff member here. How do I get on at, at UC San Diego? How do I get on VPN? Well, I gave mm-hmm. a real good answer. Yeah. Because it knows our website. So the answer was spot on. And, you know, things like that are really good for
0: it. Yeah, that I would be very interested in seeing that happen, frankly. Is there anything else that you have in mind regarding uh, short-term changes that we might see from this technology?
1: Organizationally, no. From mm-hmm. technology standpoint, it's working out what I'll call the AI integration layer because there are tools now like LangChain and others Mm -hmm. that are popping up to do that. And we need to tap into those, knowing that this is a very volatile area for the next few years. So that's okay. That means if we're gonna do our own things, we're probably gonna stick to less expensive open source things give us more control and flexibility. We'll obviously work with, you know, the Googles and the Microsofts of the world and what they're doing in ServiceNow, certainly. So it's more of, uh, you know, that piece. I think on the organizational side, to take advantage of AI, I remember we started this conversation with Lean Six Sigma investments. Mm-hmm. In the case of IT, process improvement and what I call team philosophy. And uh, you know, what service owners and frontline managers, uh, their, their checklist of the key things we need them to do, the things that our senior manager that we want and our sort of our values we have as a working unit. All those investments in organizational capital, we call it organizational capital or human capital, are extremely important for getting the benefits out of AI. You most you just can't if you're in, a, in another university or another company, you just can't give yourself a shot of AI. Yeah. You also have to improve the humans and, the, and the, the nature of the organization, and the quality of the organization, the people, in it, in order to take advantage of it. And those investments uh, we've been making will continue to make. The university has made a bunch of them sort of, I won't say unplanned, but not carefully top-down considered, uh, but they're fortuitous for us. They give us a great advantage. And so we need to take advantage of our people in the process and continue to invest in them.
0: Well, I do remember one thing that you said was that AI is a mirror to us b- based on what we collectively put into it. Um, and, and so I think that that's an element to what you're saying as well,
1: yeah. right? Yeah. But things like, you know, do we, have the, do we have the proper skills and ability of staff? Do we give the staff the opportunity to learn? Do we provide some off-the-job training and on-the-job training for people? Do we carefully select people that fit with the way we do things here in IT, the type of skills and that? Do we have a degree of autonomy by our teams to sort of be masters of their own service, set their own service improvement plan, develop their own measures? collaborate with each other? Do we have a collaboration approach that allows people to work fairly uh, laterally without fear of you know crossing into forbidden silos, so to speak? Those are all very, very important
0: things to taking advantage of new technology like AI. So th- this is, we're, we'll start wrapping up here, but one thing that we both know is we have record enrollments. Uh, we're growing quite large in terms of our student population. And the UT in true UT fashion, just the words they used were seemingly endless growth for UC San Diego, including a new student union, 2,400 bed camp uh, complex. Um, my question for you is the role of ITS in keeping up with that growth and what we are doing AI yeah. to grow and, and evolve. Yeah, and and. We have to understand it's not endless growth though, mm-hmm. meaning the
1: student population is leveling off. We want to level off. We're not gonna grow 75,000. You know, we wanna stay kind of where we are. And if we grow, it's, I mean, as we grow, it's gonna be at that master's level, most likely. In terms of the dorm situation, no, we've got a long-term plan to provide housing for all students, graduate and undergraduates at less than market rates. So yes, that building will continue to grow the sustainability model for that needs to happen. We're carefully watching our performance measures in terms of ticket volume and and time to close and all those things in order to watch the staffing for that and adjust our staffing as needed. And and really this AI push or we'll call automation and AI or streamlining push is designed to help us continue to absorb that growth. Mm -hmm. So all those things play a role. Uh, it's not an endless runaway abated growth. <laughs> uh, and I have great confidence in Pradeep and Pierre and exactly how they're trying to watch those numbers and, and true it out. It is absolutely the case that the bigger we get, the more advantages we have for, as an institution in terms of cost and other things. But I, I don't see us you know, getting to that 7,500,000 range that other universities are in, that'll never happen here. Uh, and it shouldn't, quite frankly, in my mind. Um, but I do see a lot, a still more work ahead on the facilities uh, side on campus to get uh, a real rich campus. It
0: is students. it is quite remarkable. and I, And I do know that based on student feedback of the past, having that I guess, classic college experience is something that some of them have indicated they're missing. Yes. And this is in response to that.
1: Yeah, there's still a desire for that.
0: Yes, Oh, absolutely. That's, that's not going away. I think that's something you can't take out of humanity, right, is collectivism. I w- I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts. Those are my questions for this particular conversation. No, I think uh, we're in a very good
1: spot in terms of our unit. Um, And we have a really exciting future to tip into now. And I'm not just saying this to say it. I'm really, I mean, you know, parts of IT kind of gets kind of dry and boring, right? Mm -hmm. That's not true right now. Mm -hmm. It's like wildly, interestingly fun, almost crazily fun and new software, new ways of programming, new tools, uh, AI, uh, you know all this stuff. It's it's a, it, for me it's incredibly exciting. Um, so I haven't lost any of my enthusiasm for it. In fact, it seems like I'm getting more enthusiastic about it. And uh, so I just tell everybody, you know, uh, let's work on our, let's continue to work on ourselves and our processes and giving time back and finding efficiencies and little things we do. If there's chaos or craziness in certain processes, point them out. See if we can streamline them. And you know, we know certainly in some key administrative processes, such as HR processes and some recruiting mm-hmm. cutting processes, we have work ahead of us in there. And I'm out there with Terry Winbush. and she's actually become a, a co-AI tiger <laughs> uh, uh, as she's been exploring the potentials of the technology, and she's excited. So the final words would be, we're in a good spot. I'm I'm very grateful for I don't call it the end of COVID, but uh, something that looks a little more normal and but more importantly a leaning into all the new technologies and especially our ERP infrastructure now and our mm-hmm. data warehouse infrastructure, none of this is obviated by AI. It's this enhances AI because the crisper data you give AI, the better the AI is. So I view this as entirely synergistic. Uh, so it's a great time to be here. It's a great time to be in IT. Hopefully, everybody can feel optimistic about it. If not, raise raise the hand, and hopefully, we can uh, uh, get you uh, get you excited.
0: I think I think there's a lot of inspired folks out there, and I look forward to learning more. I know for my own personal curiosity is number one. This is all I'm in a curious stage about where we are, and I look forward to seeing where it goes. Yep. Cool. Well, th- thank you so much. Happy Solstice. Have a great summer. And we'll talk soon. Thank you, Miguel. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at ITS-podcast at UCSD. Dot .edu That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.